podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two Footed Podcast. Today is Monday, the 23rd of August, and we're brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider that's a virtual privacy network which allows you to go online, change your location, access anything you may be geo blocked from, while also keeping your data safe. Check out LibertyShield.com and use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do remember to download the Etsy app and search the EPL Index Shop or the Anfield Index Shop for any merch you may be looking for. Right, folks. Busy weekend in the Premier League. Nine games played so far. One to go tonight. West Ham versus Leicester. Should be a good game. Leicester have gotten some bad news. Yannick Vestergaard is ruled out. So it may well be that Daniel Amarty starts a centre-back again next to Kaglar Sionchu. That defence looked a little bit ropey against Wolves last weekend. But West Ham don't necessarily have that blinding Adama Traore pace. What they do have is a beast in Mikel Antonio who will cause all manner of problems. So that should be a good game tonight. 8pm kickoff. The Hammers at pretty much full strength. West Ham only really missing Masawaka. Now, the, the issue for them is they haven't done anything yet in the transfer market. News this morning from David Ornstein that they're prepared to pay up to $30 million for Kurt Zuma to get him in. Personally, I think that's an overpay. The issue seems to be, though, that Zuma's looking for massive wages that would make him the highest paid player at the club, and West Ham seem hesitant. West Ham also, of course, interested in reacquiring Jesse Lingard. So we'll wait and see if they get either of those deals done. Leicester had a busy summer, but they've got a busy treatment room at the moment. Johnny Evans out. Ryan Bertrand out with COVID. James Justin out with his knee injury from last season. Yannick Vestergaard now out. Wesley Fofana out after that horrendous injury suffered in the preseason friendly. Expected to be out between four and eight months. That's quite a long, quite a long period that Brendan Rodgers has given for Fofana to return. And Nampali's Mendy also out for tonight. So, It'll be a bit of a makeshift Leicester team, but they will have most of their first choice uh, midfield and attack. So that's where they're strong. Defensively, they've had issues the last couple of seasons anyway. So we'll we'll see. I think it'll be a good game. I've gone with a 2-2 prediction from Friday. So I think I'll stick with that. I think that's a, a fair bet. Right, on to the weekend's games. Liverpool 2, Burnley 0 in the first game of the weekend. Burnley deciding, rather than playing football, to engage in some sort of WWE showcase. Diogo Jota, very much the the target of some of their heftier lads, found himself flung to the ground, bundled to the ground and kicked up in the air on a number of occasions, all while Mike Dean stood whistling and looking at something completely different. Mike Dean, a guy who over the course of a 21-year Premier League career has booked 3.5 3.5 players per, ga- per game booked nobody. 
this game was far more physical than the Watford Aston Villa game that he refereed on the opening day of the season. In that one, he gave 31 fouls and booked four players. In this one, he only gave 18 fouls and didn't book anybody. So I would suggest that Mike Dean, it, it, it's time for Mike Dean to retire. He's too old to referee at the Premier League level, but it certainly suggests a trip to Specsavers uh, in the near future. Jota opened the scoring for Liverpool, a great header from a brilliant Costa Simicus cross. Liverpool's second goal is an absolute work of art. Van Dijk, long pass to Harvey Elliott, brilliant control, quick ball inside to Trent Alexander-Arnold and first-time ball into Mane and Mane with the first-time half-volley past Nick Pope. Liverpool could have had a couple more, but they were reliant on their goalkeeper, Alison Becker, to make a couple of great saves. Now, one of them would have been pulled back for an offside, but he made a late save in a 1v1, I think with Ashley Barnes. Uh, it was very, very impressive. All things considered, a pretty comfortable win for Liverpool. Burnley gave a good account of themselves, and you know they, they are what they are. They do what they do. Dwight McNeil caused Liverpool some problems in the first half, especially faded in the second half. But promising signs from Burnley. They still need to add to their squad. But the Reds look pretty good this season. Two games, two wins, two clean sheets. It's all they can really ask for at this point in the season. Second game, Aston Villa versus Newcastle United. A brilliant Danny Ings overhead kick just before half time made it one and an Anwar Al Ghazi penalty made it two. Interesting that Al Ghazi took the penalty while Ings was on the pitch. I assume that indicates Al Ghazi is the main penalty taker when he's playing. Uh, he's never missed a penalty for Villa and this one was dispatched brilliantly. He does strike the ball exceptionally well. Uh, Villa were good value for the win. Newcastle had some opportunities. Callum Wilson had one really good opportunity that I thought he should have scored for. I scored from rather. Tyron Mings was absolutely all over the place again, and Wilson ran him ragged. But a good win for Villa. A strong win for Villa. This was a game when they didn't have Leon Bailey, who was ruled out with a, a slight knock. But Jacob Ramsey came in, and I thought he put in an excellent performance. I was really, really impressed with how Ramsey played. Uh, I thought McGinn and Douglas Louise, who returned in midfield, looked really composed and put the battle up to the Newcastle midfield. Joe Willock making his second Newcastle debut, unable to really influence the game, as was Miguel Almiron. And Isaac Hayden just found himself overrun. Um, all things considered, this is more what Villa expect. They obviously had that disappointing opening day loss to Watford. This is them getting back on track. I expect Villa to be comfortably top half this season, challenging for, at, ver at the very least, Europa Conference League with the squad they have, the money they've spent. I know they lost Grealish, but I would rather have the trio of Ings, Buendia and Bailey when Bailey's back than just Jack Grealish. I think Villa are going to be a better team this year. I did predict Villa to win that game 2-0, by the way. I had predicted Liverpool to win 3-0, so I got the... The winner right, just didn't get the scoreline right. Uh, but it's it's the winner that matters. Um, Palace nil, Brentford nil. Now, I predicted a 1-1, but I got the draw right. This was a fairly damp affair. Nothing really went on. Both sides had a couple of good chances. Conor Gallagher hit the crossbar with a great, a great shot in the first half and had a pretty impressive performance. In midfield, it's it's good for Palace to get a point on the board. I would have liked to have seen Patrick Vieira utilise his bench a bit more. 
I didn't understand the, re- the, the logic in leaving Benteke up front by himself for 90 when you had Mateta on the bench. Um, and I would have liked to have seen maybe Yarrow Riedeveld come into the midfield and just give them a bit more force. MacArthur had a really good chance that I thought he should have scored from. David Ray made one or two good saves, worth pointing out because I have been critical of him in the past. All things considered, a point was a very, very fair uh, point each was a very, very fair result. I think both sides will be pretty happy with the draw and they'll move on to the next one. So just to point out, I am three for three thus far in terms of picking winner or draw. Uh, that went out the window here, though. I had leads to win 3-2 and it ended up in a 2-2 draw. Everton went 1-0 up, a Dominic Calvert-Lewin penalty on the half hour before Matthias Glish. Click? I don't know. Um, I've heard his name said, and I continue to forget what it is. Um, I'm going to call him Click. Um, he scored the equaliser on 41. Damari Gray would make it 2 on 50. I thought Melier should have done a lot better for this one. I really thought he should have done better. It wasn't an impressive bit of goalkeeping. Uh, but good to see Damari Gray getting a goal, and he did look really, really lively. Hopefully he can get his career back on track because he was super talented coming through at Birmingham. He stagnated badly at Leicester, especially under Rodgers, who didn't really seem to rate him. The Leverkusen move didn't really go well. I think he just wanted to get out of Leicester. But, you know, Everton's a big club. It's a big big opportunity for him, big platform. Hopefully he can do well. Rafinha's equaliser on 72 was absolutely phenomenal, though. A first-time curling left-footed shot that found the tiniest gap through a sea of bodies into the corner of the net. Brilliant, brilliant goal. And a draw, a very, very fair result. I don't think either side could complain that the draw was the correct result here. Two good teams, two well-managed teams, quality players on both sides. 2-2 was absolutely fair. Next, we had the champions Manchester City getting their season up and running eventually with a 5-0 win over Norwich. Uh, Tim Krul, very unfortunate with an own goal on seven. Ball ricocheted off a defender and up onto him and into the net. Jack Grealish made it two on 22 minutes. Another fluke goal, a cross that everybody missed and Grealish knew nothing about it, bounced off his knee and in. Uh, he looked a little bit sheepish celebrating it, in fairness to him. Americ Laporte would make it three on 64. Just poor defending from Norwich from the set piece. Uh, Milot Rashika should have done a lot better with his clearance, but it landed right at Laporte's feet. And he tapped home. Raheem Sterling made it four on 71, and Riyad Mahrez would make it five on 84 with some comical defending. In the Norwich back line. Kyle Walker was absolutely outstanding in this game. Created multiple goals with some very, very good incisive passing. Norwich managed one shot in the entire game. None on target. Norwich were really, really poor. For all the good things they did against Liverpool, they were just desperate in this game. Start to finish, absolutely desperate. Conceding two fluke, two fluke goals in 22 minutes. It's going to be tough to overcome, especially against City, the way they dominate the ball. But I was very disappointed with what I saw from Norwich in this one. Last game of Saturday then, 
Brighton 2. I, I had City winning 4 0. They won 5. Uh, Brighton 2, Watford 0. Shane Duffy with the first. A brilliant header. Absolutely brilliant header on 10 minutes, right into the top corner. And then Neil Mope made it 2 on 41. Eves Basuma, really good turnover, high press, wins the ball, plays in Mope, who doesn't think, just reacts, puts the ball past. Um, past Backman and into the back of the net. Brighton were very good value for the win. They were comfortably the better team in the first half. Second half, credit to Watford. They came out and they showed something. Um, I thought Hernandez, when he came on, looked dangerous. There was a, a very, very good save from Sanchez to deny them as well. And I thought... There was a late header from Troy Deeney, and I really thought he should have done a bit better. Now, he was backpedaling in his defence, but I did think he should have done better. It was a good game, and Brighton have looked good in both games, and that's important for them. Spanish reporters are saying that Brighton have paid £18 million to buy Mark Cucurella out of his contract at Hatafe. He would be a huge signing for them. Excellent left back, left wing back more than left back. If you can have him and Lamptey either side, you are going to be in business. Those two are going to be an absolute terror up and down the flanks for them. They still need a striker and they need at least a centre back, but they've got good options in midfield, even though Graham Potter can, continues to play empty shirts. Basuma, Mwepo, Casado, Motor, it's a really, really strong young midfield core. If they can get those two wing backs in, then they've got the likes of McAllister, Gross, Trossard, and even Mopay, who can play off a striker. Get that centre back, get that striker, and get Cucurella. And Brighton will be really good. Really good. They're a strong team. They're really well managed, really well coached, really organised. They're, they're a lot of fun to watch. They really are. Now, at the moment, they're outperforming themselves in front of goal compared to last season. Remember last season when their XG would have had them, I think, like 7th or 8th in the league, but they were so terrible in front of goal that they ended up scrapping against relegation for part of the season. This year, they're putting their chances away, and it's really promising to see. We will take a break there. That is Saturday's games gone through, and when we come back, we'll get into Sunday's games and we'll get through the gossip. And we'll be out of here on a Monday nice and quick. See you in a few minutes. Right, welcome back. So just to toot my own horn for a second. I had five of the six Saturday games correct. The only one I got wrong was I predicted Leeds to beat Everton. And it ended up in a draw. But I'll take five out of six. Uh, my Sunday did not go quite as well. Southampton won, Manchester United won, a Fred Owen goal on the half-hour mark, deflecting a Che Adams shot past David De Gea into his own net. Put Southampton 1-0 up. United had been well on top. The goal was, was against the run of play, but it came from Bruno Fernandes, losing the ball absolutely fairly. Jack Stevens with a good clean tackle. Fernandes throwing himself on the ground and then having... What resembled a toddler's tantrum. Uh, he ended up getting booked for said tantrum, but really poor from Bruno. He would make amends. He was involved in the build-up for United's equaliser on 55. 
his pass, a little nudge from Paul Pogba, and it found its way to Mason Greenwood. It's a, a fairly tame shot, though, and Alex McCarthy should do an awful lot better. He really should do an awful lot better. And I said, Hampton should have won this game anyway, because Adam Armstrong got through 1v1 with David De Gea, but kind of telegraphed a shot and made it quite easy for De Gea. Disappointing for Southampton in that they could have won, but they will be thrilled with the result. They'll be thrilled with the point. Gets them off the mark this season. And all, all things considered, they played well. I thought Salisu played very, very well as the left side centre back. He's obviously the one who will likely replace Vestergaard in the team. Uh, you'd hope you'll get to see him at Bednarak quite soon. They do have Leanco coming in, Brazilian centre back from Torino. That deal's hopefully going to get done the next day or two. Uh, so they'll be back to a complement of four at centre-back. But uh, I thought Salisu played really, really well. United did not play particularly well. Pogba, having been brilliant last week, not nearly as effective this week. Uh, but he did get an assist, and United and their social media are very happy to tell us that the Premier League record for the first player to have five assists across the first two games of a Premier League season. I had predicted United to win that game comfortably. They did not. Um, Wolves nil, Spurs won. A Deli Ali penalty on 10 minutes. The only thing between the teams. Jose saw what he was doing, I've no idea, but he came out and clattered Deli Ali, put him on the ground, and then started complaining that he hadn't done anything wrong. Ali got up, dusted himself off, and slotted home a great penalty. Harry Kane on the bench for Spurs watching on, likely fuming that he wasn't on the pitch to take the penalty. But Kane would come on later in the game and have a good chance, and he should have scored, but Sam made a decent save. Adama had the best chance for Wolves, went through 1v1, very similar to the chance he had against Leicester, and again he failed to score. Rumours today that Wolves are expecting a £40 million bid from Tottenham for Adama. I really don't see the logic in that one. I, I, I know Nuno worked with him, but the end product just isn't there. Look, if he had end product, he'd be an £80 million player, but he doesn't have any. And £40 million is money they could spend better somewhere else. It really, really is money they could spend better somewhere else. I would hope it's just media speculation, but there's a lot of places reporting that today. Wolves, to their credit, played pretty well. Dominated the ball, had the most shots. Under Bruno Lage, they have been creating tons of shooting opportunities. 25 in this game. I think they had like 21 against Leicester. They need to start converting, obviously. They still haven't scored under him in the in the Premier League, despite all those shots. But it is a positive sign that they're creating this amount of chances. Raul Jimenez looked a lot more lively in this game, looked a lot more like Raul Jimenez, and that's a big, big positive. So they can take solace in that. For Spurs, it's another good three points. Six from six. You can't go wrong. Deli Ali again, for me, the standout player in that Spurs team, playing as a number eight more than anything else and really putting in a shift. Really, really putting in a shift. I've always been a Deli fan. I'd love to have him at Liverpool. I wouldn't play him as an eight. Well, you could, but I'd rather see him play maybe in the Firmino role. But Deli's playing very, very well uh, to start the season. And if he keeps it up, he will get himself back in the England squad without a shadow of a doubt. I had that game to be a draw, so that's another one that I was wrong about. Uh, so that's six and two, but I did go six and three because I had Chelsea to win, and they did just that—a two-nil victory 
at the Emirates over a very, very weak Arsenal team. Ben White was ruled out of the game uh, prior to kickoff with illness. And I would imagine he was ill. I mean, if you had spent the entire week fretting, awake all night, sweating, fluid coming from every orifice at the thoughts of what Romelu Lukaku might do to you, you'd probably be fairly sick as well. There's another idea is that maybe he was just dropped. They couldn't put him on the bench because then it would be obvious that he'd been dropped. So they just leave him out of the squad and claim he's sick. Because let's be fair, all the talk all week has been about what Romelu Lukaku was going to do to Ben White. He would have absolutely tortured that poor young boy. And Arsenal spent an awful lot of money on him and can't really afford for him to get destroyed early in the season and ruin his confidence. Lukaku would instead ruin the confidence of Pablo Mari and Rob Holding, neither of whom could deal with him all game long. He was he was absolutely excellent in this game, Lukaku. His movement, his hold-up play, everything about it was great. Got himself a goal early on, 15 minutes sliding home across from Reese James. James would make it two on 35, a good finish after they unlocked the Arsenal defence. Poor from Kieran Tierney. Covered over too far, left James wide open. James drove forward and finished quite easily past Bernard Leno. Leno would make a great save later in the game. But all things considered, he didn't have himself the best of afternoons. Arsenal just looked weak. They looked poor. They looked overmatched. Defensively, I mean, Cedric, Rob Holding, Pablo Marius, three quarters of your defence. Lakonga and Xhaka in midfield. The the attack was good on paper. It just didn't get any opportunity. Arsenal couldn't get hold of the ball. They couldn't keep Chelsea off them. They couldn't get their way through Chelsea. So all things considered, I, I remove a lot of the blame from the attack. But I will say, like when you've spent as much money as they've spent this summer and only one of your new signings is in the team. Now, look, Ramsdale wasn't on the bench. And Odegaard wasn't on the bench, but Nuno was. He he came on for Tierney and he, he looked okay. He didn't look great, but first game, you give him some slack. But no Ben White um, is a big, big issue when they spent that kind of money on him. Um, Cedric isn't a starting caliber Premier League right back. He's a good squad player, fine backup. Oh, he was. Aaron Ramsdale was on the bench, guy. You are correct. Aaron Ramsdale was on the bench. Um, but Cedric is a, is a squad player. Rob Holding at best should be your fifth centre back. Mary's a, a a fine backup, but Gabriel he's a big loss. He's not in the team at the minute. Ben White's in, uh, ill, dropped whatever. Saliba you stupidly loaned out. Arsenal just they're a weird team with no real plan, and we're going to go into them more tomorrow. But I really do think Arteta could be in a bit of trouble. I really do think he could be in a bit of trouble early on. So that's the nine Premier League games from the weekend. Uh, that's a better run I had with predictions, I think, this week than a lot of last season. But this year does seem a little bit easier because it's just a more normal season again. We're, we're back to normality uh, in terms of the games anyway. It's great to see crowds back again. And obviously, the difference they make to certain teams is huge. We will wrap up with the gossip and get ourselves out of here for today. Uh, we've got a few days worth of gossip, actually. So we'll run through them. 
Paris Saint-Germain and France forward Kylian Mbappe is on Manchester United's list of potential targets for next summer. Look, if United can get themselves in a position where they could be attractive to him, I don't see why they couldn't do it because they would happily pay um they would happily pay his wages and he'll be on a free, so they'd have to pay agent fee, signing bonus. That combined is probably sixty million ish. And then the wages would be huge, but United are already paying huge wages to a bunch of players. Manchester City will not stand in the way of America Laporte if a £60 million bid comes in for the Spain defender. I don't see anyone who'll pay £60 million for him. I just don't. The clubs who could either... Well, the clubs who would want him either can't afford him this summer or wouldn't be appealing to him. And the clubs he would want to join it, just a few of them aren't looking for a centre-back at the moment. France midfielder Tanguy Endembele has told Tottenham he's open to leaving the club. I'm sorry, they need to be making more of an effort. They're making all this effort to keep Harry Kane. This is a guy you spend £60 million on. Time to make an effort with him. Uh, Nuno came out and said his job isn't to convince players to play for Spurs. Yes, it is. That is part of your job. Uh, Chelsea will decide in the next few days whether or not to buy another midfielder with Saul Niguez considering a, a possibility. Um, this is from the spoofer, so we'll just put that in a bin. A centre-half is also a priority for Thomas Tuchel, Jules Kunde of Sevilla, and Orlin Chimene of Monaco are on Chelsea's list of targets, except Chimene's not a, not a defender. Um, but he would be a great addition in midfield for them. Tottenham are close to a deal for Pape Matar Sar of Metz. I... I I've, I watched Metz think twice last year. I don't know that he played, but he is hugely highly rated. Hugely highly rated. Granada's Portuguese defender, Domingos Duarte, is a target for Tottenham. I have a hard time believing this one. He's a 26-year-old centre-back. He's decent. He's not great. He got a couple of Portuguese caps last year. I have a hard time believing that one. Um, Daniel James will not be loaned out or sold by Manchester United, according to sources at Old Trafford. That's from The Athletic. West Ham are eyeing a potential move for Sevilla and Netherlands striker Luke de Jong. It's from 90minute.com. I wouldn't put any faith in it. The Hammers are also reported to be looking at a move for Mohamed Bayou from French club Clermont. He's interesting. They're looking for a backup for Antonio. He might be a better fit than Luke de Jong. Luke de Jong would be a strange one. Uh, Leon Goretzka is set to put an end to speculation linking him with a move to Manchester United by signing a new contract at Bayern Munich. They're desperate to keep him. He turned down other moves to go there. I, I think he ends up staying. Uh, Nat Phillips will be allowed to leave Liverpool should an offer of 15 million be received. I, I don't think it will take 15 million, being honest. Sheffield United face competition from Syria side Atalanta for Ahmed Diallo of Manchester United on loan. Atalanta is the club he came from. You know, it might be of interest to go, for him to go back to Bergamo. Uh, Manchester United are in talks with Arlen Chimeni. I don't think they are. I think that's just a mirror talking rubbish. Leeds have agreed personal terms with Dutch winger Noah Lang of Club Bruges. They've been linked with him on and off all summer, so very possible. 
Manchester United's 20-year-old English left-back Brandon Williams reportedly had a medical at Norwich on Friday. He would make a lot of sense for them because he can play both sides and they could do with cover at both right and left-back. So, yeah, I like that move. Um, Inter-Miami are confident of beating Newcastle to the signing of Mittelian's Brazilian midfielder, Evander. I doubt they are considering the financial restrictions that have been placed on them for the rules that they've broken uh, with regards to the sa- uh, salary cap in MLS. So I don't think there's any truth to that one personally. David Beckham has held talks with Lionel Messi about joining Inter Miami when his contract expires in 2023. My guess is MLS get in touch with him and figure out a deal where he gets his own franchise the same way Beckham got his. Declan Rice is unhappy with the £100 million price tag the club have put on him, which has effectively priced him out of a move this summer. Tough. AC Milan want to sign Manchester City and Portugal midfielder Bernardo Silva in a £45 million deal. Two issues with that. City won 60 and AC Milan don't have £45 million. Fiorentina and Serbia striker Dusan Vlahovic is Tottenham's top target if Harry Kane leaves. Everybody's aware of that. Tottenham have turned down a swap deal from Bayern Munich, from Bayern Munich involving Quarantine Tolisso in cash for Tanguy Endembele. Um, it was a cheeky move by Bayern, if that is true. Endembele wants a move to Real Madrid, Barca or Bayern. He might want to settle himself down and just reassess where he is right now. Tottenham transfer chief Fabio Paratici has opened talks with Juventus over a move for Endembele that would see USA midfielder Weston McKenney join the North London club. Don't believe that for a second. That's just somebody putting two and two together. Everton have joined Bologna and Eintracht Frankfurt in the race to sign Malang Sarr from Chelsea. Don't really see him as a Rafa Benitez centre-back. He's 5'10". Rafa likes centre-backs to be tall and good in the air. And Everton already have four good centre-backs. Well, three good centre-backs and Michael Keane. Um, Manchester United remain interested in Wolves and Portugal's 24-year-old midfielder Ruben Neves. He's not what they need, especially if they want to play midfield three with Bruno and Pogba. Mauricio Pochettino has refused to rule out a move for Paul Pogba this summer. I mean, he didn't really answer the question either way. Uh, Newcastle will hold talks with Everton over a move for Hamas Rodriguez uh, at the request of Steve Bruce. No, they definitely won't. And if they were, it definitely wouldn't be at the request of Steve Bruce. AC Milan are close to finalising a deal for Chelsea's French midfielder, Tomeo Bakayoko. I think that's another loan. Uh, Manchester City would be keen to sign Barcelona's young Spanish midfielder, Elax Mariba, but only if they could sign him on a free transfer. Anderlecht are working on a deal to sign Manchester United's midfielder, Liam Delap, on loan. That's obviously the club managed by Vincent Company. Former Arsenal and Chelsea defender, David Luiz, is a target of Flamengo. He's a free agent, obviously, since Arsenal let him go at the end of the season. A move back to Brazil is probably where his career should be heading right now. Burnley will compete for Crystal Palace, will compete with, compete with Crystal Palace in their pursuit of Watford's English midfielder, Will Hughes. And Celtic are bracing for a bid from Southampton for Ryan Christie. Final run of gossip here. Manchester City are set to make a final push for Harry Kane this week. I, I can't see how Levy can sell him this late in the window. I really can't. I think if he was going to sell him, it had to be before the players came back 
after the international after the, the summer break. I really can't see how you can sell him this late. Tottenham are weighing up a forty million pound bid for Adama. That's the thing I mentioned earlier. Manchester United have been handed a boost in their pursuit of Erling Haaland, whose sixty-four million contract clause will become active in January. I don't think it does. I think it's next summer. I think that's just market that are basically a Real Madrid fanzine playing silly buggers trying to let on that Real could sign Haaland in January because it looks like they're going to miss out obviously on Mbappe this summer. Um. Tottenham remain interested in Leon midfielder Hossam Auer, who is also wanted by Juventus. He's been available all summer. If anyone wanted him, they would have bought him. Arsenal failed in an attempt to sign Manuel Locatelli. We know that. Rennes have made their highly regarded French midfielder, Eduardo Camavinga, available for €35 million. Euros. Uh, this is from the Spoofer. He is available. He's been available all summer. Uh, I don't know if they put a price on him. I doubt they have put a price on him. They'll want the best price available, but they may end up losing out because he needs a year left in his contract. He's refusing to sign a new deal. He wants to move on. Chelsea have resumed talks with Sevilla, uh, <coughs> Sevilla over Jules Conde and will make room in their squad by allowing David, uh, Davide Zabacosta, Kurt Zuma and Ike Ugbo to leave Zabacosta set to join Atalanta on a four-year deal according to Sky Italia. Tottenham are chasing, this is good, Tottenham are chasing Noni Mudeki. The PSV Eindhoven winger would cost 40 million. He was at Spurs. And they let him leave for free. Um, Arsenal owner Stan Kroenke accidentally revealed that Granit Jack had signed a new contract at the club in his match program notes. You know what's great is that not only have they given him a new contract, he's still the captain. Like I know Aubameyang is the captain, captain, but he's he's wearing he's wearing the armband and leading the team. Uh, while Aubameyang has got COVID. Um, Tottenham are pushing to sign Weston McKenney. I, I don't think so. Maybe they will, but it'll be unknown. Everton have made an approach for Scottish defender Nathan Patterson from Rangers. Bid has been rejected. It's unclear if the Toffees will return the second bid. They need a right back. He is a right back. He's a very promising right back. It's a deal that would make sense. And finally, Roma are interested in signing Clement Langley from Barcelona. I doubt it. Mourinho likes good defenders and he's not very good. That's it then. That is our show for today. Uh, nice and concise, hopefully, for you. Thanks for listening, as always. Thank you to Mr. Drinkle. Thank you to Fox Hunt. And I will see you tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.